according to one of the largest sociological studies in the United States, which is called the General Social Survey, statistics show that in 2022, 34% of Americans now never attend church, which is actually a very startling statistic for our country because it's for the first time ever in our, uh, since they've been doing research that those who never attend local church outnumber those who attend. About 32% of Americans say they attend religious services at least monthly, even then that's just once a month. So being the church, being a part and committed in participating in a local church is increasingly in our culture, countercultural. This is not just true of uh, those of us who are committed in comparison to non-Christians, but being committed to the local church, regularly attending, regularly participating, being community, using your spiritual gifts, these are things that are unique even among those who say they attend church regularly as we see a decrease of commitment and participation even those among those who profess to follow Jesus. And what I want to do is, because that's seemingly more countercultural today, is take a look at what Scripture describes and paints a picture of what the local church can look like. And we want to look at that from Acts chapter 2 in the early church. And what I want to think about is what our devotion to the Lord should look like by our devotion to one another. One of the operative words we'll see in this passage is devoted. A church, a family that is saved by grace, brought together by the Lord Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. One of the key marks of a true following family of God is devotion. As we talked about way at the beginning of this series, the church is an organism and an organization. And we see that these people who are committed to a local church are committed to the organization and they help carry out the mission of God as a local church that formally gathers. And they're committed to the people of that church. They're committed to one another. They're committed to the world and what God wants to do in reaching the world. In our consumeristic culture, I think this is incredibly important to lay out. As we talk about in our membership class, if you're going to be joining, that, joining us for that next Sunday, we, we want to paint a biblical picture of what it means to be committed to the Lord, and expression of that is being committed and devoted to a local church. But that's countercultural today because I think a lot of people in our consumeristic culture begin to look at the church kind of like a cruise ship. I don't know if you've been on a cruise. How many of our church have been ever been on a cruise? I've been on a cruise. So half of our, it looks like half of our church at one time has been on a cruise. I have only been on one cruise in my life and I will never go again on a cruise. I, I went as a child and I really have no desire to ever go again. I think I got a little bit seasick, but I just, I don't like that idea of being trapped on a boat for long periods of time. Uh, but a cruise ship, I think people think of the church as a cruise ship these days. And what happens when you get on a cruise ship? A very small group of people are doing all the work. A small group cleans, a small group serves, a small group entertains. And there's this big group who's just there, along for the ride, who gets served, who sometimes critiques the staff. I think a lot of people think of the church like a cruise ship, where there's a small group of people, people who are doing lots of things. The staff and church leaders, pastors, lay leaders we just laid hands on are like that. They do everything. Pastors, the elders, maybe the super committed people. They're supposed to do the work and everyone else is just along for the ride. But if you look at scripture and the pictures of the local church, you look at descriptions and glimpses of a 
that describe the local church, especially in the book of Acts, a better ship, if you were to use a ship analogy to describe the local church, is a battleship, not a cruise ship. Have you ever been on a, an active battleship or seen pictures of an active battleship in movies? You know that it's when you get on there, there's not a small group of people who are doing all the work and then everyone else is along for the ride. No, there's only one group of people on a battleship. Everyone's involved. Everyone has a role. Everyone has a job, even if they're diverse in their jobs. Everyone works together because they know they're in a battle. They know they have a mission. They know that they're going in a direction. Everyone in, in the diversity of gifts is working towards a common end. They're devoted to that end. They're committed and they express it in their activity and relationships to one another. The church is not a cruise ship. It's a battleship. I want to look at Acts 2 to help us understand what it means to be a devoted community, a devoted family. The passage, to give some context, because we're just kind of launching into the book of Acts. We haven't looked at the book of Acts for maybe like five, six years now. Uh, but just a reminder of where we are in this book. This is the very beginning of the book where the, the church experiences this amazing descending of the Holy Spirit. Jesus ascends to heaven. He says the promised Holy Spirit will come. And disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. They experience miraculous things confirming that this is su supernatural gifting from the Lord. Peter preaches a sermon anchored in the, the gospel and going back from Old Testament all into Jesus' time to show that all these things are about Jesus and how he saves through his life, his death, his resurrection. He calls those people who hear this, go this gospel to repent and be baptized, which means to turn away from their way of living, to turn and identify with Jesus. And we're told that 3,000 were added to their number. That, that's an amazing thing you see in the, the first part of the book of Acts, the majority of the book of Acts chapter 2. And immediately right after this amazing moment of preaching and salvation, you see this picture of the local church. And I think this is something I've said in the business beginning, but I think it's a good reminder again and again to hear is that salvation is always intimately connected with their commitment and participation in the church. You're not saved to be lone rangers. You're saved into a family. You're saved into a local expression of God's big C church by participating in a small C local church. The gospel saves people into a family. And then you see in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, our passage, and they devoted themselves. That's why the main point I want to look at today is this concept of devotion and what it looks like. This word devoted, committed, steadfast, it's the operative word that shapes this entire section. This is a community. This is a family. This is a group that is devoted to one another. It's devoted to, to Christ and his mission. And that's increasingly countercultural, as I mentioned in the statistics that came out just recently, as devotion and loyalty, not just in the local church, but in our culture at large, isn't very common. It wasn't that long ago when there was people who would graduate from university, they would get a job, and sometimes they would be at that job, maybe just changing roles or positions or rising in the ladder, but they would stay at one company for their entire life. 30, 40, you hear people who retire 50 years with a company. Nowadays, when you talk to people graduating from university, most people only think of staying in a job for one to two years, and then they jump to another company. Often, actually, I think, and I'm talking to my, my wife, who works in corporate finance, 
I hear that almost the structure is designed that way. Sometimes you can't even get a, a title change or a pay bump unless you unless you leave. In fact, it's incentivizing people to leave. And so devotion and commitment and loyalty to one place is increasingly rare in the corporate world today as people jump to get pay bumps and title changes. Think about not long ago when you hear of athletes who got drafted to a team, especially if they were a top draft pick and they got drafted to their team, they often would stay their entire athletic career at that team, that one team. But nowadays, how often does that happen? You see, you see, if you look at the NBA, look at people leaving teams to create super teams, and they do all this stuff, which is why Jordan's still the best ever, because you know LeBron had to manufacture wins his way. I'm surprised I'm not getting the Jason and a bunch of the LA guys to make more comments about that right now. You know, that's what they do now. Loyalty to a local team, it, it's, it's rare. You don't see it anymore. It's sadly true of the church. According to statistics, according to ad hoc participation, even if you were to look at Sunset Church, and I'm saying this out of just objectivity, but post-COVID, as we're evaluating who is committed to our church, who's present in our church, those statistics are largely true of our church as well. In a culture that values opportunity, personal preference, Devotion is a lost cultural value. But if you look at scripture time and again, devotion is a key mark for the people of God. Notice this is a community commitment. As you read Acts 2, 42 to 47, one of the things that's kind of notable is that it doesn't focus a lot on what the leaders do. It consistently mentions what the whole family is doing. It does mention the apostles' teachings, but they have their role, and it's mostly emphasizing what the whole church is doing. Today, we sometimes think that, you know, it's the role of the church leaders to create programs, and it's the role of the congregation to go through programs. That's sometimes how we think what the local church should be. And there is a place for programs. I think there is a place where we can uniquely carve something out for training, for equipping, for community. There is something good about that. But the picture of the church was not programmatic in that way. You, you see here, organic life. It, it flows from the formal institution when they gather into their homes. And it kind of has this rhythm and ebb and flow. They're marked not by programmatic attendance. They're marked by some kind of additional add-on to their life. They're marked by devotion to one another. And let's see what they're devoted to in the rest of verse 22, or 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This list here in verse 42, uh, as scholars identify, this is probably more formal. Uh, this is talking about the, organiza the uh, organization itself, where the institutional things are committed to. And the reason I think that, and scholars think this, is because you find the word the before each one, the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the, so that that article right there identifies that these are formal things that they do as a formal local church. And so not just prayers generally, but the prayers, not just teaching generally, but the teaching of the gospel given from the apostles, not just the breaking of bread, generally sharing meals, but this is probably referring, they regularly took the Lord's Supper together. Look at unpacking these just very briefly, the apostles teaching, they were committed to the scriptures. They were devoted. As they gathered together, they were committed to the to word. They, they studied it. They looked at it. They, they had preaching from it. They applied it to their lives. 
the fellowship. They were, they were committed to spending time together because Christ united them. This devotion isn't just to, to formal institutional things. It had a relational component. It, all of this is steeped in relationship because ultimately they're not devoted to an empty organization. They're ultimately devoted to people that fill the organization. And they're committed to real people, their lives. You see it expressed in a moment. The breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, they would do it when they, when they gathered. The reason they kept doing the Lord's Supper together every time they gathered was because that was the tangible expression of recentering in the gospel. If you were to ask an early church attender why they gathered on Sunday, one of the main things they would say is we gathered because we gathered at the Lord's table to center in the gospel. They gathered around the prayers to cry out together, reading through the Psalms, reading through prayers together as they cried out to God in one voice. This is a glimpse of the devoted community. And you see that as they did that, verse 43, the description of this devoted community is very supernatural. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. This is a supernatural community that was dependent on the Lord. As they gathered to pray, as they gathered around the gospel, as they gathered around the word of God, God did supernatural things in their community. I think this is important to see that God is doing these things here. It wasn't like the leaders got together and came up with a strategy to reach the world. No, they began to reach the world out of very simple things because God worked supernaturally through these means. It was clear that only God could do this work, that God was bringing together people who normally the world would never see together. That's one of the things that actually marks the early church. Historians look at the early church and they try and answer the question, how did the church even survive, let alone thrive? Because this was a ragtag group of people who had a, a crucified leader, who had no military power, who had no little to no resourcing, who had no political advantage to themselves. How did they not only survive, but how did they expand? How did, they, how did this good news get out? And when they answer that, one of the main things they always come back to, historians, whether they're Christian or not, they will always look at the local church and realize they were devoted to each other. They took people who were like zealots, people who wanted to overthrow the government because they thought, you know, low, little government was better. And then they had people who were tax collectors who worked for the government. And they had these two people who politically would aid each other, get together and love one another, who would sell property that they owned to care for someone else that politically they would hate. And they saw them together and people looked at the local church as they had these people together who hated each other. Like, what is going on here? In our world, that would never happen. In our place, you can see the connection, right? You would have people from the political extremes in our time getting together around Jesus, laying down those things, having differences of political opinion, yet laying that down for Jesus. That's why in a local church, actually today in America, and actually in a politi any politically divided society, one of the marks of the gospel breaking through in a local church is you have people who differ politically together in the same place working together, side by side. If you find a church that's only one political party, the gospel is probably not there because you can gather people in society that are all of one color or the other, right? What happens and you see in this local church, in this early church, is this leaning together across those differences. You find people who, who are highly educated, like Paul, with people who are lowly educated. You have people who are incredibly wealthy, 
selling things, caring for those who are little. They have nothing in common according to superficial looks. Yet they're doing life together. They're breaking bread together. Because God is bringing them together. God is doing supernatural things through them. Breaking down barriers. <laughs> melding relationships that our society could never do. And I think we need to remember this. The way we do church, it's not... I mean, there's good to thinking about strategy. There's good to thinking about formulas. But it is a supernatural work of God. He is building the church. He is doing what only he can do. It is a supernatural community. All came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. One of those amazing things is how do you bring Jews and Gentiles together in the same place to love one another? to sacrifice for each other? How do you bring Samaritans into the church? How do you bring all those barriers that all exist in our culture? Jesus is tearing all of them down. Verse 44 to 45 continues to describe this community. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling the possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This devoted community is marked by sacrificial giving to one another. The meeting of needs. This is an incredible vision. This is a community of people where they knew each other's needs and they had an understanding of the pulse of the needs and they were willing to help out. So even if someone doesn't have the money to help out, they were willing to sell something they had so they would have the resources to help out. They were asking, how can I disadvantage myself so I can help advantage you? This is a sacrificial community functioning as family, taking care of each other. I think it's important to say here, I, I don't think this is a vision for socialism, th that there's no place for personal property at all. In fact, you'll see in a moment they have personal property. But there's a sacrificial giving. There's a laying down your preferences and priorities, your needs for the sake of someone else. And the reason I think that this isn't a vision for socialism is because they're next meeting at home. So they're still owning some kind of property. They had stuff to sell, to share. And so they own stuff still. But this is a credible vision of sacrificial generosity. If we are to be a devoted community, and this is one area I think in our local church, uh, this is probably true of all, all churches in some way, but I think I'm going to speak to Sunset Church in a while for a moment. I, I think this doesn't happen because we aren't willing to share our needs. Because whatever reason, we still feel there's great shame and sharing needs. Like people have this thinking that I don't want to be a burden. Some of that's cultural, some of that's familial, some of that's, some of that's pride actually, right? That we are willing to say to someone, we have need. I have a need, would you pray for this need? I have a need, would you help me out? I had a sister share this week that she's gonna be in the middle of a transitional uh, moment of housing and she's gonna need housing. And we as a, as a church leadership want to ask the question, how do we help her in that? How do we ask questions that could disadvantage ourselves so that this person could be advantaged in the moment? But I think that's one of the things that is hard, right? Most of us, if we're in that moment, will we be able to share that need? Is it embarrassing for us? And I think when we ask those questions, it reveals to us maybe the one area of maturity in our church, in our spiritual following of Jesus is to recognize 
that we, in this lay down, we don't have it all together. I think because we have this feeling, this desire, this need to feel like everything's put together, it actually hinders us from being a devoted community because then there are no shared needs. It's amazing to me. During COVID, we set aside a significant amount of resources to, to care for people in need, to pray for people in need, all kinds of needs, people who lost jobs, people who lost home, anything. It's amazing how little our own church took advantage of that. And that to me is something that shows probably we are resourced in some ways, but also maybe it's because we don't want to ask. We don't want to share. We don't want to lay down our pride that we have needs. That's one way that we can grow as a church because they knew their needs. The other part of it is, and I think this is actually one area where we could begin to exercise it, we begin to share with more with one another, is that people begin to meet those needs. People begin to find out and care for one another. Begin to function as family, even when they're not biological family. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Paul reminds us in Galatians chapter 6, a similar attitude. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. This devoted community practices devotion in real time, in real terms, laying down preferences, giving of their resources to care for one another, especially in the household of faith. Because when we're in Christ and you're committed in a local church, we're family. We're committed to one another. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So it doesn't say the breaking of bread, right? So that's the difference between earlier, the breaking of bread, the Lord's table. Here is hanging out, sharing a meal together. The breaking uh, and breaking bread in their homes and they receive the food with glad and generous hearts. Day by day, you see there's this rhythm of commitment. They were day by day gathering as the institutional church for formal things, as they were salt and light as a committed community. But they also gathered day by day in less formal ways, in homes. They gathered and then they, sometimes people say, they scattered throughout their neighborhoods, throughout their homes and their workplaces, throughout the cities that they lived in. And they did life together. They ate together, they talked together, they prayed together. I think this is sometimes uh, a tension that we experience as you think about churches today. Uh, because churches vary in size. They vary in kind of the experiences you have, depending on the church you go to. And sometimes I hear this conversation uh, pitting two expressions against each other, where I'll, I'll know people who experience like a house church experience, maybe a smaller church experience, right? And then they go to that, they do church in their living room, like, this is real church. It's amazing. I get to know someone. I'm actually praying with them. And that I, I always say, that's awesome. I'm thankful that you have that experience. But then what ends up happening is they take that and they pit that against something. So if it's over 80 people, then like automatically that's negative. And so if you're bigger, then it's automatically worse. Or sometimes people are like, take the opposite end. And like, no, church needs to have this, you know, excellence around these things that we do. And then they have no place for the smaller things. No, you see in scripture, you never see this conflict between the two. You see this ebb and flow. They added 3,000. This is a mega church. They added 3,000 to the number, right? And then they also gathered in their homes. So they had this large sense of togetherness and they had this scattered sense of gatheredness. And they did both of those things. 
and when we talk about church structure conversations, I know people have different preferences. I think that's why God uses various kinds of churches, but we shouldn't look at them as in conflict with one another. As a church, we gather together as a larger group on Sundays, and then we scatter throughout community in different homes. And we have community groups, life groups together, doing discipleship together. And so we don't have an either or. We, we want to have rhythms that gather us together. We can see across our church and care and pray together. And also we, we scatter in smaller groups throughout the week. You have a, the church scattering and gathering together, this ebb and flow of that. Verse 46 also says they had glad and generous hearts. This is something I'm going to preach to myself uh, because I need to grow in this. This church, a devoted community, this devoted family is, a, is marked and you see that devotion by their gratefulness. They're not entitled, right? You see this grateful community. They, they, they recognize the good from the Lord and they recognize the good of their people that are gathered around Jesus. I imagine this is playing out in our life, in our church, right? You would, you would come to church and as we have moments to say hi, because maybe you haven't seen someone in the last six days, you, you would be grateful for them. Or when you go pick up your children and you get a chance to say hi to the person checking in and checking out kids, you say, thank you for serving in this way, for protecting our children, creating safe places for them. We express that in word. They express it ultimately in praise and worship to the Lord and they, they do so with one another. Because when we think about the gospel, we realize I, I deserve God's judgment. When we get to, the, to the, the table, we realize we're holding, this should have been my body. This should have been my blood. But Jesus died in my place. I deserve that. But he's given me salvation. He's given me this family we're a grateful community. We recognize, acknowledge that every good gift comes from the Father above and we express it to one another in our church through words, through actions. There's a cheesy way. I think people have said it different ways, but I think it's somewhat true and helpful. Gratitude is like a social glue. It connects people together, ties them together. Grateful people are tied and knitted together. And think about the opposite. Bitterness is divisive. It drives wedges between people. Gratitude glues together as people are expressing thanks to the Lord, thanks for one another, and they're more bound together. They're a grateful community. I need to be more grateful. I need to express gratefulness more in my life. What would happen if our church, if every time we came to church, we found ways to bless, pray, express thankfulness to the Lord and thankfulness for one another? What would that look like? And then verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. God was adding to the number out of being this kind of devoted family. Now, it's important that there are people being added to this. This is not a static, insular community. This is not... A, an old boys club who just you have all the same people and it never changes they're actually welcoming people because people are coming to know Jesus and they're welcoming them in it's a family but it's a family that isn't closed it isn't a family that says well we have no more room at our table no 
they're, they're extending their tables. They're, they're multiplying, they're adding numbers and they're extending that welcome to more and more people. The Lord is adding to the number. They're being saved and they're being added to the church. Those things, again, they're tied together. When they're saved, they're added to the church. It's not Lone Ranger Christians. It's, it's community. It's committed together. We see this amazing devoted community. The danger with this is, I, I, want, I think sometimes when we look, and you've probably heard messages on Acts 2, 42 to 47 before. I think we kind of look at this and, and we kind of pull it out and we just kind of use this by itself. But you have to look at Acts as a whole too. Sometimes we look at this passage and even the pastor can unintentionally say this in an overly uh, idealistic way. That somehow they had this serene, perfect existence as a community that they never struggled. And so that's why they could be committed together because they never struggled. You know, every single conversation, they were hanging out together. They got together to church and someone asked the, the person, even though they didn't know them, hey, you know, how are you doing today? How can I pray for you? And the person would say, you know, I, I'm really tired because I woke up early to pray for this other person. It's like a perfect place. Everyone's just praying for each other nonstop. Everyone's just caring for each other's needs. There's no problems in this church. But that's not the case if you look at Acts. Acts chapter 5, not long after this passage, we find leaders in the church who, in this practice of sacrificial giving, they lie about their sacrificial giving. And they're, they're marked dead as a reminder of God's holiness there. Whenever God, you see, you see throughout the Bible, whenever there's a significant inflection point in the people of God, God marks and reminds them of his holiness again. So earlier in the Old Testament, you see when people accidentally touch the ark, they die too, because this is a significant moment in God's movement in history. He reminds them of his holiness. You see that, right? So the leaders are lying. Acts 6, like this perfect community who's caring for needs now has a, a justice issue in their midst. Right? Because now we have people who we, we more identify with because we're from the same culture and there are some widows who are not being taken care of well and they have to address that. Acts chapter 7, after they identify some of these key leaders, probably the precursor to deacons, right? then one of them is stoned, Stephen. In Acts chapter 15, you see they're, they're still wrestling. How do we include Gentiles in the church? But do they need to practice all the things of Judaism first and they're wrestling with all that? And then Paul and Barnabas, they disagree about John Mark, two big leaders in the, in the church. They, they can't see eye to eye and they go separate ways. Paul goes with Silas. Barnabas goes with John Mark. Talk about Acts. It's not a perfect idealistic church. They're devoted in the middle of the messiness. They're devoted to one another despite their sin, their brokenness and struggle. And so I think it's important to have that whole picture perspective because sometimes we can look at Acts 2, 42 to 47, like, oh, of course they're devoted. This is a perfect place. And you look at our church, it's definitely not a perfect place. And how can I do this? Because it's not what I need it to be. No, they were devoted to one another. They were devoted to, to Christ in the middle of all that brokenness, in the middle of leaders sinning, in the middle of people lying, in the middle of people not knowing how to care for each other's needs. They were devoted. I mean, it's always easy to be devoted to people who always benefit you or when it always feels good. But it's not family, is it? You stay committed long enough, you're going to have a moment where someone hurts you or disappoints you or doesn't meet your expectations. And that's when the moment of devotion becomes real or not. And sadly today, 
what you find and you can see this and and I think I mentioned this before but pastors and I we get together in the city we can we can kind of feel this in our city where you know sometimes we just feel there's seasons where the sheep just migrate from one place to the other where there's no more additional adding to the the amount of Christians in San Francisco but it's just that one sheep just gets bored of one place or it's not cool anymore and they migrate to another place and they do that because the new church happened just do this again and again and again and again no, it's devotion in the book of Acts is through those hard things. You ask those tough questions. You, you stay through. You pray for the leaders. You, you, you engage with people. When people in your community group, they hurt you, you don't just forget that person. I'm going to find a new community group. No, you, you stay and you have that conversation. And it may require a John Mark situation where Paul and Barnabas have to separate, but you don't do it without the conversations there. You don't do it without pursuing one another. You don't to it without wrestling and struggling. The church is devoted in the middle of this messiness because Christ is worth it. Let me apply this, this passage now to our church for a moment, some practical thoughts. It's, this is really the call here, if it's a picture of devotion, the call to you, the call to Sunset Church is to be devoted, to be a church that reflects this kind of Christ-centered devotion to the Lord that's expressed in a devotion to one another. That may seem obvious when you're reading this, but I, I think as a reminder, coming all the way back to the first message of this series, is to remind us that this is expressed as, uh, as living out an identity we have. Like, I don't want you leaving this place thinking, well, I have all this list of things I need to do now in order to be the church. No, you actually are the church. By grace, you are this. You have this by Jesus' work. You have it already if you're in Christ in the Spirit. God already declared that over you in his grace. And so it, it's not like you have to do these things in order to, to kind of earn favor or to, to function in a way that kind of, kind of earns it. I, I think that's important, even though it seems like a small thing. This is, this is already who we are. We get to live out of this gracious identity. I think about it as children. I, I have two girls. And now that the ages, they fight a lot, right? They're now almost nine and six. And there's just whining that's just different now. It's louder. It's just, they, they bicker differently. They, it's just this morning, right? They're going to church and say, when you eat breakfast, they're already fighting about something. I'm like, I just need to go to church. I don't want to enter into this. But like, they're, they're fighting all the time. And sometimes they'll get physical, right? Sometimes someone will physically hurt the other person, express themselves inappropriately. And when one of them does that, sometimes it's Selah, sometimes it's Malia. Do I go to Malia when she hits Selah and say like, you're out of the family. You know, for the next two weeks, you had to do these things and demonstrate that you're back in. Like, do I say that? to No, I don't say that to my kids. None of us say that to our kids, right? Because when they do wrong, you acknowledge the wrong and then you want them to improve. And yet, they, don't, they haven't lost the status as child. I, I remind them, though, that this, this is something, you are sisters. You are family. And as family, this is how we love one another. This is how we treat each other. It's living out of the, the identity you already have. They're not going to lose the status as family. They're not going to ever lose being sisters. That's graciously bestowed on them. I'm calling them to live out of this identity they have. We are the church. By God's grace, by his salvation, we are 
brought into his family. Now we get to live out of this identity, taking care of each other, meeting together, eating together, rallying to help each other when things, goes, things go wrong. I, I love, I've heard so many stories of this throughout our time in our church where someone is in the middle of a job loss and a, a church small group will care for that person in that transitional time. Or someone is caring for an aging parent and there's need for support and people help out with meals, they help out with driving, they, they, they rally to help and they pray. Or as a, as a church, you hear of someone who you don't even know them personally, but they're our church family, just rise to give where there's need. You, you begin to function as family. So you, you have those people who you can call at, or you can receive a call at 3 a.m. And you will answer it, <laughs> right? You answer it. Like you get a call at 3 a.m. Most of the time, you're just like, it's on silent already, so you're never going to answer it. But that person calls twice, it goes through. 99% of people, you probably won't answer that, but this is the person you will answer for, even if they're not your biological family. You confess to one another. You actually can share real needs, share sins. And you respond with grace and love and stick around when, even when that person fails. We need to begin to express that because we are family. We begin to live out of this identity. I think we need to think about, and I, I don't, sometimes people don't love this word member, but it's biblical. Paul uses it a lot. So I think we should redeem this word. But when we think member, our, remember our, our church uses member and membership very differently. In fact, that's why I often, when we talk about our church members meetings, I'm sometimes like, I sometimes use it interchangeably. I call it the family gathering or family meeting. I'm trying to instill in us to think about it differently than our culture does because our culture uses membership very transactionally, right? So many of you in our church, I would guess have, especially if you have a large family, have a membership to the glorious place called Costco, right? Right? It, it's like, Except for if you try and go on Saturday or Sunday, it's not so glorious that. But like you go there, right? You you pay a fee and there's various fee levels and you get different things. But, you know, you pay your dues on an annual basis. I think it comes around summer. So you're probably going to get that charge sometime soon. And if you make sure you pay that and you have that card, then you can go in and enjoy the free samples, right? And buy way too much stuff than you need. You go in to buy a chicken, which is way in the back and you end up with a TV. You, you just end up with too much stuff. But imagine if Trader Joe's all of a sudden gets in the bulk game. They just buy a whole bunch of real estate. They get in the bulk game. And they do the Trader Joe's version of it. I bet many of you would change and go to the Trader Bulk or whatever they call it, right? They just go there instead. And when you make that change, it's not like people at Costco are going to be weeping and crying. And they're, gonna, they're not going to like, the, the CEO isn't going to call you and be like, oh my gosh, why did you change? Like, you know, membership. Because it's transactional. It's not relational. Right? Or you, you have a gym membership. How many of you at the beginning of the year always have the intention of working out? You join a gym and they, they join, that's why gyms, like they try and collect as many memberships in January and February as they can because they know they're just going to have a whole bunch of money there, right? Because 90% of people aren't going to go anymore after January. You pay your dues and you get access. Transactional. There's no personal aspect. And I think sometimes because we look at membership participation in our culture through these lenses, we think of the church in somewhat the same way, but we're not bound by transaction. We're bound by grace. This is a covenantal thing. We're committed. We're family. That's why if you join our membership, maybe this is a reminder for us, 
one of the last things in our membership covenant, and again, this is just an expression of what it means to be committed, the last thing. And I'm so thankful when people actually do this in our church. The very last thing you're committed to is when you leave our church, because sometimes time, time you leave. All kinds of reasons. You move, you want to commit to a new church for a different season. We want to bless you. And you actually share with the church that you're leaving because you are a family. We don't want you just, if, if your brother or sister just stopped showing up to family gatherings for the last three years, you'd be like, whoa, what's going on, right? You would follow up with that person. You would wonder what's wrong. And we want to know the same thing because when you leave, we want to bless you as you join another local church that's following Jesus. But it's amazing how few people, even though we put that in immersion coming, even though we say it again, like just disappear because we don't think of each other as family. But that's the kind of family we are to be. When you leave, we are saddened. We want to pray for you as you leave. That's why even last year, one of our, and he didn't even become a formal member because it was short here, time here. But like he was participating meaningfully in our church. He's a musician and he played drums for us for a number of, of, of summers while he was here in education. And as he left, we prayed for him because he was deeply invested in community and serving in our local church. And when he left, we were saddened. Practically though, so all this family stuff, let me say this about being devoted. You're going to need to find a particular group of people to do this with. Because you, you can't do this with thousands of people. Even in our church, we're not huge. We're kind of in this weird size range where you can be anonymous, but it's kind of you recognize people's faces. But you, you can't do that with everyone in our church. And I think what you need to do is find those people. Recognize you have a relational capacity. Recognize you have limits. I mean, if Jesus found, he had the 70, he had the 12, and he had the three. Probably if the, the creator of all the universe understood his relational capacity in that way, we probably have the same, generally. I mean, some of us have more extrovertedness, more introvertedness, but like generally most of us aren't going to be deeply connected with more than 12 people and really intimately more with more than two to three people. We have different relational capacities. Find those people in the church. Sometimes we do it formally with different community groups. Sometimes we do it organically. We have various places that's happening in our church. But church isn't just the prayers, the apostles' teaching. It's also the breaking of bread and the rhythm as you gather day-to-day -day scattered together, praying with each other, going deeper. You need to commit to a particular group of people. If you're just part of our church right now, maybe you're in a season of exploring church, Maybe you're not yet committed to Sunset Church. Any of our leaders, we'd love to help you in that journey. It may not be in our church. We understand that God has a calling, I think, for people to join local churches for seasons where he will be glorified by your participation and using your gifts there. But if it's not here, if it is here, we want you to learn and grow of what it means to be an active participant, devoted to the Lord by being devoted to a local church. Get to know people there. Commit. Because... What you see in Acts 2, 42 to 47, yes, it happens in what we're doing right now. But most of what you see there is happening because you're committed to people. People that you can call at 3 a.m. People that you can pray with. Would you have those 12 and that 3? It's a covenantal relationship. Committed to one another. Think about a marriage. Marriage, you're intentionally entering a covenant that narrows options because you're saying you are committed in this exclusive relationship together. When you're entering into community, it is covenantal, meaning that 
this is, we all have limited capacity. So we're going to choose to commit for this season with these particular people and do life with them, express the local church together. Some of you need to find that because you don't have that. Or maybe you were, you did have that and it's a different season and you need to engage in that again. And again, I'm not saying you have to join the formal structures and programs of our church, although that can be helpful. But you can find that in the local church as you stick around and get to know people and engage and pursue people together to create those spaces. Some of you, and this is a, a call to some of us because our church is an older church where there's amazing, deep-rooted relationships for many times. There's this one community in our church that's been meeting probably for like 40-something years. And it's amazing. And we have groups like that in our church that have been deeply rooted and committed. And there's a blessing to that. And yet here's something I want to say to those who have long-term relationships and commitments in our church, where you have expressions of Acts 2, 42 to 47. Maybe your, what you need to do in this season of a local church is be able to include other people into that because your family unit has been too insular for too long. We're now, because our church is growing as God is adding to a number of people who are being saved at Sunset Church, but also as God is moving things around in San Francisco, we do have lots of people in our church who don't have that community. And maybe by having your community and being too insular, we're not actually being the church with one another. We're actually not being able to practice that devotion because we're limited our scope in our relationships. Maybe we need to pray and think through that as well. I pray that as we think about being the church, that this idea of devotion and commitment to the Lord and to one another would grow and we'd reflect more of Christ and his glory here. Let's pray together. Would you take a moment just to allow the Holy Spirit who is here, who wants to bless, wants to convict, wants to build up, wants to minister to you, would you allow some space for the Holy Spirit to speak? Father, we thank you that you are ultimately faithful. Faithful even when we were rebellious and unfaithful. That you loved us in sending of Christ. You love us in continuing to be faithful to the local church since the beginning in Acts 2 to this point in 2023. It wasn't because so many great Christians were so amazing in and of themselves. It's because you continued to build your church. You continued to be faithful. Father, I pray that your spirit would convict us when we need reminders of what it means to live out this identity of commitment and devotion to you and devotion to your people and your family. I pray that would create new bonds in our church. I pray that it would mend broken ones. Father, I pray that we would continue to reflect the kind of family that only the Holy Spirit can mend together. Father, help us to be a family so that this city who often feels lonely, disconnected, in need, we find welcome and a place here so they can meet Christ and experience Christ-like family. I pray those in our church 
who have missed expectations or pains because of family hurts. Let bow your spirits, pursue reconciliation where there needs to be. Lean in even when it's messy and hard, Lord. Would you do that work in our church? To your name and glory. Amen.